Welcome to another episode of the Aftershock Central Podcast. What's that? Nobody else is here? Well, that's not true. This is a special episode where Ronnie, Travis, and I got to sit down with uh, Elliot Rahal for about an hour yesterday. Had a great time talking to him. He is probably one of the most honest uh, people that I've met in comics, and it was it was a pleasure talking to him. Of course, we talk about Midnight Vista. He's got a new book over at Vault, Cult Classic, Creature Feature, that we're really excited to talk about as well. And uh, we talk aliens, and it was amazing, and I loved it, and he is probably my spirit animal right now. So uh, go ahead and listen to the interview. Let us know what you think. Enjoy the interview. Uh, so, Elliot, thanks for coming on. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure because uh, you might not be aware, we're all like huge fans. I think we've, I was talking to Ronnie, uh, we've read basically everything you've done. Uh, I read The Doorman last night. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I read Very The Doorman last <laughs> night because uh, Travis is like, have you guys read The Doorman? I was like, no. And Travis is a huge heavy metal guy. So I, I ended up calling my shop and he he had a copy of a trade in the store. So I went and got it and read it this morning. Um, so we, we, we're all big fans. Uh, I think I first came upon your work with, uh, Escape from Gulag, uh, the one mm-hmm. show you did at Valiant. Uh, and I think that's probably true for you guys yeah. too, yeah? Yeah. And yep. Martin, you and I were at C2E2, Elliot, when you were doing the Valiant panel for Bloodshot's Day Off too. That's right. Oh, wow. That was a fun panel. <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was great. Uh, so we're all big fans. I'm sure creators like cool. to hear when people actually uh, buy their work. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Uh, obviously, I do. And thank you both. Um, it's especially uh, flattering for me because, like, fucking, I mean, let's be honest here. It's like, oh, your entryway into my work was, like, a one-shot that no one gives a shit about. You know, like, I love Escape from the Gulag. It's one of my favorite things I've ever written. And it's a really important story for me. But, like, we have to be also honest about it. It's, like, what, the, the fourth one-shot in the third event of a, like, a, like obscure Valiant. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it is, it is, it is, that's a, that's an interesting way to walk in. But um, I love it. Because I love, I mean, Valiant fans, it's, I gotta say, I love working with Valiant. And they love the characters for a lot of reasons. But I also loved, like, something that I was not expecting was um, I really feel like um, I've got this, like, really cool support um, everywhere I go now um, because it's like Valiant fans are true blue. It is crazy. Oh, yeah. I've never come across – I've never come across anything like it in my life. And every time I go to a show, you know, there's not much money in comics. And so, like, every time I go to a show, like – some Valiant fan walks up to me with a fucking giant XO Man of War pull box and then has me sign all of this work <laughs> that I have no idea anyone read. And then they buy everything off of my table. And it's like, it's really, um, you know, it's something that I I, um, I don't uh, take for granted. It's very special to me. Yeah, Valiant fans are definitely uh, different. Uh, and, and most people talk about like a battle between like DC and Marvel fans, but uh, you you meet a Valiant fan and it's a completely different thing. Uh, and it could be it good. Or, it could be good or bad. You know, like if you do something with the characters that they don't like, you got to be careful. 
because they might come after you. Uh, but if they enjoy yeah, your work. Yeah, Christian Cotter is coming after you. <laughs> if they enjoy your work, like, you're set. Uh, I remember when uh, when Rafer Roberts was doing some stuff over there. I know his his run there was a little divisive, uh, but we started this Snickers bar thing. So if a Valiant fan yeah. saw Rafer at a conference, Rafer knew he was getting some Snicker bars, so he was not going to go hungry. That's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. I love Rafer's become a good pal of mine, and so I, I like his work a lot. Yeah, he's he's hilarious. He's hilarious. Yeah, we're, we're ride or die, dude. Right <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, make, cool. make a gang, though. All, all of us here met through being Valiant fans, you know, and now we're doing an Aftershock show and we got all kinds of other shows doing, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was through Valiant. Uh, so it's, uh, it's nice Ooh. to have that atmosphere within comics, you know? Yeah, it is, especially when, um, you know, you work in indie comics and, like, you know, you know, you're a guy like me that's kind of still hustling and, um, you know, sometimes like you're really excited about work and you're really hopeful, and then sometimes it's like, is anybody reading this? Is anybody paying attention? Um, and uh, it's it's nice to you know know that you know maybe not a lot of people are, but a few people are, and they're gonna stick with you, and that's that's something very special. Yeah, for sure. Uh, what the what did you do before you were doing comics? Well, I mean. I just living my life. Um, I mean, I don't know. The whole thing's been a journey, you know. Um, I went to college in um, Chicago, and I went to the film school there in DePaul University. Um, I, I got a background, so I learned writing there, and then I also um, have a background in live performance. I used to do a lot of stand-up comedy. Um, you know, it was a... Uh, I actually a cast member at this place called the Lincoln Lodge, which was it's a really sort of prestigious alternative comedy venue, and I was there for four years. And I kept performing after that, um, but I I left Chicago um, a few times. Uh, one in New York City, I was an editorial intern at Marvel, and then I went back to Chicago, and then um, you know I was in my early twenties and. I wasn't feeling it anymore. I was kind of sad all the time, and nothing was going anywhere, you know. And my girlfriend got a job in Knoxville, Tennessee, so I followed her there. And, you know, still working on comics, still performing, and uh, then working a day job there. And then uh, then we got married, and then uh, we moved to Minnesota on her other job. And in Minnesota, I pretty much made the decision like, you know, I performed for a little bit for the first year, but if I'm being honest about it, I think part of it was because I didn't know what I was doing anymore. So it was a second big move. I didn't have a job. Comics was still very difficult at that point. I, um, you know, and so I, I kept performing. I think mostly to make friends, if I'm being honest. Um, but then I, you know, about four years ago, I pretty much decided I'm not going to do stand-up anymore. Um, and uh, I had to focus entirely on comics, and I was waiting tables, and I was focusing on my marriage, um, you know. And uh, although I miss live performance, um, I don't regret doing it. Like, I get so much more satisfaction from comics. Uh, and... Um, Focusing on comics has really helped 
my career, um, I feel less stretched out, you know. Um, And around eight months ago, I quit my day job waiting tables. I'm writing full-time now. Um, It's pretty scary, you know. Um, But I've managed to uh, line up 12 months of solid paying work and, you know, I'm not a piece of shit, you know. I'm not just some guy, you know, sitting at home. Um, <laughs> hey, well, that's the know, dream, I mean, man. Yeah, I know, but it's um, you know, it's a really big fear of mine. Um, like um, I, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm trying not to get sappy on you guys right now, but like, you know, I love my wife very deeply, and the last thing I want to do is not do my part. You know what I mean? Of course. Yeah. Um, in our in our relationship, and so uh, you know, I might not be making much money now, um, but you know, at least I'm still making money, and um, I try to keep the house clean, and I do all the cooking. So, like, I really try to focus on being a better husband, uh, even though sometimes I fall short of that. But you know. I've noticed that because I've I've read some interviews with you, and it's pretty obvious how passionate you are about your relationship uh, from the stuff that I've read. Uh, and I think the the genuineness really comes off uh, in the stuff that I've read, at least. And this is the first time I'm actually talking to you, voice to voice, I guess, not person to person. But uh, it's uh it's it's nice because you know being a husband is a tough job, right? Like we're all married, yeah. Ronnie and I have kids and, and, you know, full-time jobs and this and the other, but like, you got to make time to do that kind of thing. You do. And you have to treat it like a job, you know, not a job you love, obviously, but like, you know, it requires maintenance and it requires attention and like, you know, and it, I don't know, you know, I could go on and on about that. I mean, I don't want to go with both of some fucking holier than thou, super good husband like i am not that like like, you know what i mean like i am certainly not that however i do try sure yeah that's all that matters right uh very good you uh you have a a lot of cool stuff coming out Uh, obviously we want to talk to you about midnight vista uh since we're focusing on aftershock on the show uh but i do want to talk about the Mm -hmm. new cult classic because i'm really excited for that as well uh so let's uh let's just kick things off with midnight vista where I mean, I, I kind of know where the idea came from, but if you want to tell us a little bit uh, about that, how did the idea come about? Yeah. So, like, all right, I think there's two parts to this conversation. Um, there's the fictional aspect of it, you know, the the, 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 the plot, like, um, you know, so in Minnesota, uh, there's this really famous case um, called Jake, about, about a boy named Jacob Wetterling, Jacob was the milk carton kid that disappeared boy for over 15 years, maybe over 20 years. Really famous to the state. If you're aware of that kind of stuff, it was national news, but like in the state, it's like very famous. You know what I mean? And um, they recently, a couple years ago, um, solved his case. Uh, And unfortunately... You know, everything bad that you could imagine happened and Jake was murdered. Um, but I was always fascinated by that um, context of, um, you know, I was running into people on the street in Minnesota and 
my wife included, who's a Minnesota native, you know, they remember Jacob when they were kids, you know, and now they're fully grown adults, and it's been solved. And, like, I thought that was just, and, like, there was, like, this sort of, it was a very, it was a really difficult to describe feeling in the air. Um, but everybody was sharing this thing together. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's where one part of the story came from. And the other part of the story came from a real-life close encounter I had. And, you know, for those listening, Midnight uh, Vista is about a, a boy named Oliver who gets abducted by aliens with his stepfather. And everyone thinks that his father, just his stepfather, just... Uh, sort of abducted him and, and killed him and uh, that's that. Um, but 17 years later, he comes back. He's a fully grown man. He remembers stuff. Um, and when people ask him, where has he been? Um, he says, I was abducted by aliens. And nobody believes him because they think he is suffering from some pretty severe trauma. Right. And, and we take the story from there. How has the reception um, been for this book? I mean, I, I've seen nothing but positive, uh, at least on, on from the people that I follow. Uh, what are you getting from the publisher and, and shops in terms of reaction? I mean, it's been um, overwhelmingly positive on my end. Obviously, I mean, I'm a crazy person, so I dig for bad reviews. Um, <laughs> so I... Uh, <laughs> I, uh, but like those are, they're very few and they're very obscure. Um, but you know, hey, the criticism is valid. You know, I'm not going to say it's not valid. Um, but, um, so that, from, from, you know, critics and friends and readers, um, it's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, the first issue sold well, which made me feel real good. Um, I'm trying to convince them to do a second volume. Uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, we're, we're not at that stage yet. But, you know, um, it feels good, you know, I think. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I really don't know. Um, it's, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure everyone's lying to me, so yeah. I mean, that's where I'm at right now. Well, I know you and I went a little bit back and forth on Twitter because uh, part of this is based on your, one of your encounter or your encounter. Um, yeah. From from my understanding of the story, it's kind of like the the original scene, the first couple of pages that we see. Uh, that's kind of similar to what happened to you. Uh, I, I, as far as I know, you weren't gone for 18 years, uh, just a couple hours. Uh, but No, yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, I think it's just, the original story's a lot more boring. However, okay. So this is the part, I mean, I said I would talk about it. I want to talk about it. I'm trying to get as much attention out there as possible. And, um, you know, I did listen to your guys' podcast about uh, the review, and the reason I agreed to do this is because, you know, you guys didn't make fun of me, which I appreciate. Um, so we will enter into this part of the discussion now. And so let's play a fun game. And this is for the uh, listeners at home. And I'm going to ask you guys a series. Uh, and this is just to kind of get your heads in order. Let me ask you a series of yes or no gut 
question. And I don't want waffling. We'll take it one at a time. I don't want your explanation. I just want a yes or a no. I know it's very unfair, but it's going to help you understand where I'm coming from. Um, So the first question is kind of an easy one. Do you all believe in non-intelligent extraterrestrial life, meaning bacterial or microbial? Yes. 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 All right, second question. Yes for me. Second question, do you believe in intelligent extraterrestrial life, not necessarily on a human level, but like on an animal level, and dog? Yes. 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 All right, third question. Do you believe in intelligent extraterrestrial life with, like, cognitive human reasoning or above? Yes. Yes. Yes, again. All right. Next question. Has that intelligent life at any point in time visited Earth? And I'm talking about prior to human visiting land, even. Is it at any point in the Earth's history? Hell yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I'm starting to feel like I'm losing some of you soon. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ellie, like Ronnie Second. and I are all in on this kind of stuff. Travis is a little, okay. a little more in doubt. Okay. All right. I, well, there's only two more questions left. Um, second question: Has this intelligent life ever visited Earth while humans exist? Yes. Yes. I'll say yes. All right. And then the last one is, does it continue to? Yes. For sure. Sure. Okay. All right. My people, welcome. Right? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, but we all have to also acknowledge something that we just all said, which is that there's no such thing as reality and everything's fucking insane. Right? Yeah. And like you just did something crazy, right? And objectively, what you just said was totally nuts. And, you know, in the process of making this book, as I've had that conversation with myself, it definitely returned me to my spirituality in some ways. Or um, in a big way, actually. Um, and, you know, it's just an acknowledgement that this world is not as it seems. Mm-hmm. And so. Taking that, um, I'll tell you my story, and the story has a couple different asterisks that I'm going to put in there, right? Um, so the first asterisk being I was young and I don't remember much. Eight years old, I was overweight. I wanted ice cream. We were driving to the Shell station, but there were thunderstorms. All the, and this is in Illinois, outside of Chicago. And uh, we were driving to the Shell station to get some ice cream. No ice cream because the power was cut. Um, and this is a school night. I remember it being around 7 or 8 o'clock. And it's pretty late, actually. And so we drove over to the Jewel Costco um, to get the ice cream there, which was about 10 or 15 minutes away in a connecting suburb. And we drove back. The entire trip, you know, the Illinois suburbs are very closely connected together. They run together. Road by road, it's it's not like other, it's not like the Minnesota suburbs necessarily where you get on the highway. Um, they're very close, so the entire trip should take eh, forty-five minutes at the most. You know, 
Um, so we're driving back and we're going home and we're turning the corner onto my house. And my house is, again, a suburban block three houses away from the corner. So if something were to happen to the vehicle, I could get out and go home pretty quickly in about 40 seconds. Like, I'm going to stand it flat, you know, not even. Like, you know, we were 10 seconds away from pulling into the house, you know. And what I remember is it being, I remember seeing a time, 10.15 p.m., you know, very specific, and uh, the car started to malfunction as we turned the street. And uh, the lock, power locks went up and down, like shoom, 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 shoom. Uh, the car radio frequency got all fuzzy um, and came in and out. And then the lights uh, on the headlights flickered and, and the lights inside flickered and everything flickered. And then everything stopped and the car died. Um, and this is another asterisk because this is where the stories diverge, right? So what I remember after that is uh, my stepfather saying, you know, he had stayed in the car, and then he gets out of the car, and then he opens up the hood, checks the hood, goes into the hood, gets in the car, turns on the car, we go home, and then we get home at midnight. And we get home with several hours of missing time. Now, doubling back to what I just said, what my stepfather remembers is similar sequence of events. He has different times. I have talked to him about this. Um, but again, I was young. Uh, and here was the car dying in a similar way. However, what he remembers, he does not remember getting out of the vehicle. He remembers a, a large sort of pale light overcoming us. And he thought, because we live near O'Hare Airport, that it was a plane crashing. And he braced me for impact. And then the light, uh, he said, uh, dissipated. And then he's in the car, we go home, and that's where the stories, you know, reconnect. Um, and we are back telling the same story. Granted, he's got different times. Um, but um, the, the, the fundamental detail is the same where we both remember and both came home saying uh, we had several hours, there were several hours of missing time. Um, and that was shared. Now, the second asterisk or third at this point is now there's more to the story. Um, I don't remember really much of this. So that's very critical. And the other two sources that are occurring right now that I'm getting this information from are from my stepfather and then also my mother. Uh, and so my stepdad and I, we, you know, I, we really get home. And um, as soon as we open the back door, uh, my mom is like, she opens the back. And she, my, my stepdad opens the screen door. And my mom opens the back door, like, at the same time, right? Because she is so angry and so mad, and she's screaming at us. And, um, you know, she's like, where have you been? Now, once again, to reiterate, I will tell you what I remember at the end of this part. But I do not remember that. So I don't remember this conversation, really. 
I mean, I've got flashes of it. It's important to remember that the words that I am now saying are not my memories. Right. So uh, my stepdad started talking to us, talking to my mother about how he, we had a, uh, an experience and that we were taken somewhere. And, um, you know, he remembered more or claims to remember more, and I'm going to dive into that next. But he was saying that he remembered more and that something was happening to us and something happened to us. And my mom was like, bullshit, you know. <laughs> um, uh, and, and then she saw us both, and we were both really pale-looking, sick, like we had just gotten sick. Um, and especially me, she was very concerned. Um, so she's like, where's the fucking ice cream, right? And, um, like, she's just holding on to things. The ice cream was missing, which is interesting. And it was in my lap. I remember it being in my lap. I searched the car and the ice cream was gone. And then my mother, um, gave me a bath. And uh, she inspected my body, and she gave me a bath, and she noticed that I had a uh, rash on the uh, front of my chest. Um, but, you know, she washed me. Um, and I think, you you know, I mean, I think she was just checking for trauma. Um, and then she, and again, this is coming from them, they had a conversation, and they, they said, we want you to walk, walk me through what happened. Um, and, you know, they asked me to draw pictures of what happened. And I drew pictures of crafts and creatures, and um, I still have those pictures today. I'll probably release them in the trade of Midnight Vista. But, you know, I don't know if that was me being an imaginative eight-year-old picking up on a conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that is the second part of that story. And now the third part of that story is, is just fucking completely bananas territory. Um, and, you know, the only source that, the, that this information is coming from is my stepfather. Um, so it is not coming from me. It is not coming from my mother. I have no memory of this. Um but my stepfather, you know, through he says he remembers most of the experience and that he's also done some active remembering or lucid dreaming or hypnotherapy. I come from a sort of like a new agey household, you know. So like these ideas were already in our house before yeah. too, which is something I think important. And he claims that we were taken. And he says he remembers it. He says we were on board a craft. This craft was a fourth dimensional craft. And these beings actually were not necessarily great aliens as they are in the book, but actually like these like fourth dimensional energy beings. Um, and he says he remembers being terrified. He remembers seeing me on a uh, sort of table. He remembers that these beings were shapeless. They had no form. And then I awoke, um, and I immediately became, like, distressed. Um, and I started crying, and then the, the creatures took shape instantly, he said, into something pleasant, and then started soothing me. And then after that, like, me and the aliens, or whatever you want to call them, 
got along just fine. Uh, and we were hanging out, and uh, they did a bunch of stuff to us. They, you know, according to my stint band, um, you know, there was no physical vivisection, you know. There was no cutting open, like in the book. However, uh, there were, they did kick things inside of us. Again, these are like, my stepdad claims that they were fourth dimensional beings. So they, they had no need to cut us open because they were just like putting like energy implants into us or something like that. Honestly, it's, I don't even know how to feel about it. Uh, and like, you know, that these things are still inside of us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, it's pretty wild shit. And uh, I'm not sure if I believe it entirely myself. Um, and I think that's more, yeah, I mean, I, there is that element of the story. I usually save that for last, but I think it's really important to stress that I'm not sure I believe it. And, you know, I think, uh, however, I do believe something occurred. I believe, I believe something occurred. I don't know what, but something did occur. I don't believe it was a self. Um, none of that kind of behavior ever repeated itself. I've got a very good relationship with my stepfather. You know, um, so it's a, it's a pretty wild and, you know, transformative experience in the sense that I believe something happened. I don't know what, and I, I think it is supernatural in its origin. And, you know, I veer, I usually tell people I was abducted by aliens. I think that's essentially what happened. But, you know, that it's such a crude way to explain it, but it's the, the fucking fast way. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get you. Uh, and, you know, like I said, I, I've never had this kind of experience, uh, but I know that these kind of things have to be real. Uh, usually off the record, uh, not, not usually on a podcast, but, uh, I've had like crazy experiences like meditating or, uh, on certain psychedelics. And mm-hmm. when you have some of these experiences that I think open you to different possibilities, you're like, I mean, basically anything could be real, right? Because if, when you have these experiences that feel so lifelike, like, I mean, I, I personally, I've had an experience where, I felt I felt it was more real than us talking right now, and sure. it freaked me the yeah. hell out. I'm I'm dead. I mean, yes, yes, but you don't know what it is. Exactly. You know what I mean? Necessarily, and like that's a little bit of the reason why you know this this book touches on it. Um, like everyone is looking, I think, for an answer, which I understand. However, I think we have to accept the fact that there might not be an answer that we'll ever be satisfied with. And I hate to bring it back to spirituality. And, like, you know, I'm not trying to evangelize. Mostly, one, because I'm not a Christian. But, two, you know, um, I do believe in whatever word we call God. You know, like, or the idea of it. I don't like the word God, but it's the best one we got. Um, you know, that I know of, and just the idea of like you know going back when you when you think of Christian theology, the idea of the mystery of faith makes so much more sense now as an adult. 
in the sense that, like, there is something with a will, whether it's supernatural fucking fourth dimensional aliens or an all-knowing creator or creative force, that there is this, there is this something with a will whose will we will never understand. Just by the restraints of being trapped in our bodies, you know. Um, and that is, I think, uh, that's been like, I don't know, that has been a really powerful uh, sort of personal revelation for me, where it's like, well, fuck, do I believe in all this shit again? Like, because I was like a devout Christian, and then I like had like, I walked away from it, and I was like, you know, none of this is real. And now it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, like, what if, let's take a look at this again, and what were the things that drew it to me to begin with? And certainly the idea of just, like, there is this sort of unknown hanging above us and around us all the time. And I choose to acknowledge it now. Yeah. I think that's the real big difference now. Yeah, I, I agree completely. There's uh, there's been like a lot of philosophical work with, over. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with like Kurt Gödel's stuff, uh, like incompleteness theorem, for example. Uh, but there's been a lot yeah, of philosophical yeah, work on that, uh, where like you, no proof could ever encompass the entire truth, right? Because the the proof is only a part of of the whole. Uh, and I, I fully believe that, right? That, so you can definitely have experiences that you can never explain uh all you can do is really hope to come to terms with what happened to you and learn from that experience yeah yeah um yeah i agree but you know on uh, a secondary note it's only been a positive for me you know like acknowledging that part of your heart for me it's like oh like it makes me acknowledge, like, the humanity of, like, the people I love in my life more. And it's like, oh, we're all, you know, we're all existing and experiencing this fucking crazy unknown together. You know, it makes me thankful that you three took the time on your Sunday to talk to me about my fucking book. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I mean, but it makes me, you know, it, it makes you acknowledge people's time more. And, sure. Uh, or, or, you know... um, for me, at least. I'm not saying that that's true for everybody, and I'm not trying to, you know, fucking say people who believe in stuff are better than people who don't believe in stuff. Like, that is not what I'm trying to do. I'm just saying that for me. Do you feel like writing Midnight Vista has been maybe partially therapeutic for you uh, in, in being able to yeah. openly discuss this kind of thing? Yeah, it, it definitely has. I mean, I think it has been, like, really cathartic. I thought it was going to be cathartic in a different way. Like, I was like, oh, what if I fucking unlock the fucking secret, you know, bro? And, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, you know, like, but that's not what happened. But instead what happened was me just coming to the realization, like, I'm never going to, like, something happened and I'm never going to figure it out. And just surrendering to that has been very transformative. And, you know, that sounds very simple and, like, like no duh, but, like, you know, I mean, a lot of things in life are like that, you know? It's like, oh, you're happier when you get exercise. Oh, okay, like, oh, I guess I'll get <laughs> exercise now, you know? I mean, 
there's a lot of no doubt moments that make that make a big impact when you really truly recognize the meaning of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's important to not just like in, in this particular like your personal experience, but it just in general. Um I, I notice a lot within like geek culture where sometimes people are afraid to say they like something or experience something in a particular way because the the majority of people will be like, Oh, I can't believe you like that comic or this, that or the other. Um and it's nice to see a writer like yourself being able to tell this kind of personal story because it, it really gives people something to think about, right? Like, hey, if this guy can talk about this experience that he had, I don't know if it's true or not, but if he can talk about it and be genuine about it, then why should I hold back on, you know, what I believe in, what I enjoy doing uh, and the things that I like? I think that's really important. Yeah, and I appreciate that. I mean, I'll also be upfront with you right now on a, on a cynical level. I mean, I wrote you know, I pitched this story because nobody else has a story like this except for Grant Morrison, and it's hard to get published, and so I'm going to use every tool in my fucking toolbox. It's all about making it fucking money, bro. Yeah. You know? Like, I mean, I will be totally upfront about that. I'm sure. not doing this out of, uh, I'm not doing this out of uh, some sort of noble obligation. I think something good came from it. For me, personally, but, like, you know, I mean, I, again, I don't want you to think that I'm some great guy, right? right, like, right. That's not the, that's not my intention here, because it's, I think, false, um, you know. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I also, you know, with a book like this, I don't want to be didactic. I, like, I don't want to fucking tell people a lesson. Mm. I don't want to, like, you know, I want to just explore an emotion uh, and explore a, a feeling or, or, or a spiritual emotion or something like that. I don't want to, I don't want to come off like a teacher because I'm, a, I'm an idiot. You know, I'm <laughs> so dumb. I'm so dumb. And, like, everyone has read so much more than me. And, you know, talking about what you are talking about earlier with, like, the sort of geek fandom, I really like, I mean, it can be really great, as in the case of, you know, as we were talking earlier with Valiant. However, like, you know, it's a really big negative most of the time. Uh, it was a really big negative for me growing up because people, nobody likes to feel dumb, sure. right? Yeah. Like, because we're all, we're all fucking idiots, right? We're throwing our money away on, on, on paper and, and, and art, you know? I mean, that's great. I think it's very awesome and the world needs it, but, like, we're all dumb, right? And, like, I don't... Geek culture has made me feel very dumb growing up. It's made a lot of people feel dumb. I don't think it's specific to geek culture, but there's, like, this sort of, like, you need to be an expert kind of thing. And it's like, I agree, as a writer, I need to learn and grow as much as possible, but it's just, like, this is, like, zero grace is given to anyone. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, it really bothers me. I mean, the half of the reason why we're here is because we like something dumb that our parents said was dumb. You know? (laughs) Right? I don't fucking particularly care for Nuratu. I've never seen Nuratu. 
am I going to call somebody dumb for liking Naratu? I don't know why I thought of Naratu. I just saw somebody tweet about Naratu. Yeah, I, I sent um, you that tweet about the, the Naruto runners from uh, Area 51. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't even... Uh, honestly, I don't even know why I thought about it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing that as an example of, like, yeah. you know, I'm not, you know... Just because something is not for you doesn't mean it's dumb. Sure. You know, and like, I think it's a really important lesson to learn. Um, but, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm, I, I've got really nothing of consequence to say, and I will keep talking out of my asshole. And that is what I'm doing right now. <laughs> That's what we all do. Don't feel bad. That's yeah. what we all do every day. Uh, yeah. to, to go back to your point, though, I mean, you can you can definitely make a career out of this kind of stuff, though, right? Like, I'm not talking. I wasn't trying to imply that you're trying to be some like you know angel, like, hey guys, you know, don't be afraid. Um, but like, if you look at like Grant Morrison, for example, like Grant Morrison oh, yeah. gives doesn't give two craps about what people think about his stuff, right? He writes what he knows and what he believes in. And he's made a career out yeah. of that. He's defined his voice. And and that's what's in val- like that to me is the thing that is of the most value. You know? Um, and uh, you because know, there's just so many I mean, comics is so competitive. Um, uh, but not just comics, television, film, working in media. A lot of really talented people out there, a lot of people who are smarter than me, a lot of people who um, have voices that I think the world needs to hear, and 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 like have have angles on stories that I would never be able to tell based off of my experience. And so the only way to compete in an environment like that, aside I think from being a good pal and lifting other people up, uh, but is also like, well, what do you have to say? Like, don't just don't just make something frivolous. Like, yeah. You know, um, what do you have to say? And, uh, you know, with Midnight Vista, it's a little bit more of a serious attempt. Uh, with Cult Classic Creature Feature, it's a fucking slug zombie monster creature orgy thing. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not highbrow, you know, like, I mean, I can't, I can't write like Ryan O'Sullivan or or Alex Hacknadel or or Max Visaggio. Like they they're very like cerebral and intelligent people. Uh, all three of them. And like for me, I'm I'm very emotional. And like that's the that's what I that's how I have to tell my stories. You know, it's the only way I can tell them effectively. Well, and I think they they have a different voice. Uh, I I loved Cult Classic. Uh, when it came out, what was it last year, right? Or two years ago, maybe? Yeah, and then it finally got all done. It's all released now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, your your voice is very different, and, and I think it comes off, um, like, the the stuff that you're doing, at least for, you know, like, Aftershock with Midnight Vista and Hot Lunch Special, uh, the stuff you've done at Vault, um, it it feels different and, and definitely unique, Right, because I I don't know many people doing alien abduction stories or like something like cult classic that's very much a throwback to like classic horror from you know the fifties and sixties, um, and you and you really get that feeling from reading those books. Uh, and then you know on the opposite end, Hotline Special. I mean, like that was 
true crime, right? Like very different from the other stuff. Um, yeah, not 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 only no, no say... spaceships or no, no <laughs> spaceships or fucking zombies getting thrown out of the fucking <laughs> Go ahead, Travis. Oh, I was just gonna say, like, uh, in terms of uh, your voice, Elliot, like. I really think your bio does kind of come across in that because like reading something like hot lunch special or, or cult classic feels to me very cinematic. You know, it feels like it's, you know, like screenwriting, you know, but like a lot of your stuff also does have this very snappy comedic voice to it, you know, like a lot of like laugh lines. So I think you kind of, it feels to me like, you bring that together a lot in your work, those sensibilities. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I try, I, you know, I mean, I don't know if I'm doing it actively or not, and I appreciate that compliment. Thank you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm just drawing off of the history I've lived from, you know? I mean, I went to film school. I love reading comics. It's my favorite way to read. Uh, I did stand up for a really long time. Uh, there are tools from everything that I use. Um, you know, I mean, the reason I'm funny isn't necessarily in my books. Because, like, I can, you know, a large part of the influence stand-up has in my work isn't the humor. It's the timing um, and the pacing of things. Um, you know, comedy is all about timing and subverting expectation. Uh, and, and that is... The ultimate thing I take from um, doing stand-up, I'm funny for not doing stand-up. I'm funny because, or I try to be funny because I think I'm a very funny family. Everyone in my family is like very loud and over the top and huge, <laughs> larger than life characters, you know. And so I'm inspired by them for that, um, and because I love humor. Um, but, you know, I, I also employ humor as a device to break tension. You know, you gotta, you, you know, I mean, I'm not doing, like, Superman, Scott Snyder, not Scott Snyder, Superman, Zack Snyder's fucking Superman, where there's not a goddamn joke in the entire movie until the end, and it's like, well, it's too late now. Like, you know, like, humor is a great way of cutting tension and, like, allowing sort of, I think, people to recharge their batteries a little bit. Yeah, I agree. How's uh, how's the new uh, cult classic going to be different? I know it's a different set of characters, but you're still setting it in Whisper. Um, so mm-hmm. it, are, are you trying to make cult classic kind of like uh, an old-school anthology-type thing where, like, you come out with just different books called cult classic, but they hit on disparate, different aspects of, of the horror genre? Yeah, ideally, yes. Um, and then ideally, the idea is for me then to no longer be involved. You know, mm. um, I like the idea of, I think, in order for it to live effectively, it needs to live outside of me. And I like the idea of building on something like that, making a little independent shared creator and franchise that allows people to explore that too, and, and share and build it out further, you know, I mean, ideally, yeah, and, and, and like, you know, I think um, Cult Classic Return to Whisper, I think was a lot more of a serious story than yeah. set in horror, whereas 
this book, I am taking it very seriously. However, um, I, you know, I decided to just kind of go fuck it with this one. And just like, I'm going to do, I mean, I just wanted to do something that I really always wanted to do with it, you know. And like, I love Midnight Vista. I love Hotman Special. I love Escape from the Gulag. Like, those stories, like, mean a lot to me. They're very, like, you know, I've let you say off, too. Like, I love all that stuff. Even my Quantum and Woody run is very different in tone. But, like, I really wanted, you know, the reason why I'm here is because of Sam Raimi. Like, the reason I'm here is because of Bruce Campbell. Like, and I, I mean, I just always wanted to make something that is in that world. Like, that fucking crazy, weird, evil dead to army of darkness kind of Meg the Creeps, John Carpenter. Like, I love that stuff. I just love it. And, like, I had the opportunity to, to do a story in, in the world and, like, you know, there is his, this one scene. Have you guys ever seen the movie Mafia with Jay Moore? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. It's very bad. Don't ever watch it. <laughs> but um, <laughs> there is a scene in the movie where like, Jay Moore is like horrifically burned, and he shows up to a funeral, and he's like, in a wheelchair, and he's just like, really gross, and he starts eating mandarin oranges or something like that. And it's just, like, really gross. And, like, everyone starts throwing up. Like, everyone at the theater just starts projectile vomiting. <laughs> and I thought shit was the funniest fucking shit in the world <laughs> when I was a kid. And, and so I became obsessed in college and now still with the idea of, like, you have your A-plot going on in the background and the B-plot is, like, happening in front of you, and that's all the character work, and it's like, oh, like, Sally and Freddy are fucking talking about dating, et cetera, et cetera, and it's like they're working out their feelings, they're being teens, but in the background, you just see people just fucking vomiting up, like, their skeletons, and, like, and they don't see it yet, but you see it happening in the background, and I just, like, I, I, like, love that so much. I don't know why, um, and I got to, you know, recently put a scene like that in in the book uh, where, like, I finally get my sequence of people just fucking puking at their guests. <laughs> um, and, and I'm really excited for when that page uh, hits. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I was just, like, I really wanted to have fun uh, with Creature Feature, but I also really wanted to take... Um, the skills they've learned uh, with my previous works and apply it to them. Because I also don't want to just make something that's frivolous. Like, I, you know, this book has really big emotional tones to it. It's about revenge. It's about, you know, teenage sexuality. It's about disaster, you know. Uh, so, you know, I don't know. Again. I really don't know what I'm fucking talking about, guys. <laughs> no, if you uh, for for anyone listening, if you read the synopsis for uh, issue one of the new cult classic book, it's like a smorgasbord of just like every like 
effing horror thing you could ever want, right? There's like aliens and like giant monsters on the ground and like comets and the apocalypse is coming. And I'm like, holy crap, like, is he going to fit all this in this issue? Uh, uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, dude, is, is Whistler kind of like a Castle Rock type place? Uh, and I guess like, Side note to that question is, have you seen Stand By Me? I have seen Stand By Me. Love Stand By Me. Um, you know, this was like Stand By Me. This is the way I pitched the return to Whisper. It was like the Goonies going wrong, you know? Um, and with this sort of storytelling mechanism of it, where it's like, I love time. Time is a really big thing in my books, so I love seeing past and future, you know? Uh so, but yeah, there's like a, there's definitely like a Stephen King verse in there, like, you know, like this sort of, uh, you know, but also like, so let's not take it too seriously kind of thing. It's just like, it's like a backdrop, you know, it's just a setting. Um, but yes, there is, there is an element to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I felt like volume one was very much like Goonies meets it, um, and, uh, yeah, I mentioned Stand By Me because that's another famous, like, crowd projectile vomit scene. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. The pie scene. Yeah, the pie contest. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm, I don't have any more questions for him, so if you guys have a couple questions, and then we'll, we can wrap up. Ronnie? I just have one, really. Because um, with Hot Lunch Special, it went into – the first one went into the second printing – before issue one was released, and the same thing with uh, Midnight Vista. So we're getting Midnight Vista right now. Is Hot Lunch Special Volume or Season Two in the works, or is that something that you can elaborate on? You know, I one had no idea it had a second printing, um, and then two, uh, probably not. I mean, if I'm being, I would love to. I have stories for it. I have stories for continuing it, but, you know, um, I could not continue forward without Jorge. Um, I and, you know, I, mm-hmm. fact of the matter is that guy is, uh, I'm, I, he's writing a couple of, like, pretty obscure, he's doing, you know, he's drawing some obscure characters from Marvel and DC, but, like, you know, he's, Really killing it in. Have you ever heard of this guy named Daredevil or Batman? <laughs> yeah. Dude, his Batman is gorgeous. Yeah, it is. It is very gorgeous. Cool. So, um, you know, yeah, since but, we're uh, talking about. If I, ever had, if I ever had the chance to do it, I would do it. Yes. But I don't know if that opportunity will come. So, for Hot Lunch Special, uh, I was curious, like, it seems very personal in some ways. Like,. You know, it's like like a Lebanese family in uh, Minnesota. So I was curious how much of that, like, you took from your experience. Like, I, I assume not the, like the mafia stuff, but maybe like the, uh, the loud family. Maybe he can't talk about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, a lot. You know, you know. Again, everything is fiction. You know, but everything is drawn from something. You know. Um, I told you guys the story of what happened to me with my abduction, and, and, and I'm sure you can see how Midnight Vista was inspired by it. However, Midnight Vista itself is a radically different story from the one I told you. Um, similar situation. 
my father's I, my my entire father's side of the family is Lebanese, um, and we're storytellers. My I come from a family of just like you know storytelling people and, and really big humor and, and sort of these like like they, we love to tell our own legacy, you know, um, and stories about how my grandfather was a, a, a like a, a gunner. Um, my great uncle like Mike was a torpedo man. Um, my, uh, they moved here from Lebanon, my great-grandfather, um, uh, my, uh, my, um, I'm sorry, I'm blanking. My, one of my grandfathers, my, my grandmother's father owned, um, all of the, like, instead of Minnesota, they were in Ohio. Um, I chose Minnesota because I, it's really, uh, connected to the landscape up here and, I feel at home in Minnesota, and I don't ever really plan on leaving. Um, and so I really wanted to write about Minnesota. Um, but they were all from Ohio in Cleveland. And my grandfather owned all the bingo halls in Cleveland. Um, and uh, he, uh, there are stories about him. When my, well, my great grand, like my, my, my grandmother's father owned all the bingo halls in Cleveland. And when my grandfather was trying to court my grandmother, um, you know, he was essentially a mobster. He wasn't full on, right? But he, you know, had he stepped a couple more steps, he would have been there. And um, he, like, had his goons drag my grandfather out of the factory floor he was working in and they beat the hell out of him and then he made him become like a bartender and like sort of finger breaker for him. That's like the story I hear. And then my great grandfather moved to Las Vegas and he opened up a casino but then like the mob kicked him out and they threatened him with a gun and like all this like like pretty like criminal or near criminal stuff. And the reason why he survived is because he never went full on, you know, because, like, he knew that if he went full on, he would just end up dead. Um, like, there's not, you know, you don't retire in those jobs. You just die. Uh, and so, but he was close, and, like, you know, and, and they're all rough and tumble people, you know, and, and a lot of the things they say are problematic, and, you know, I was raised with, some pretty loud and problematic opinions that I've had to, like, really work on, you know, but that's how I was raised, and, like, you know, it's it's a, it's a it's an environment. It's an American story. It's a culture that I was trying to sort of express, um, you know. So, yeah, I mean, that doesn't answer your question, but there is a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of personal experience going through it. That that definitely answered the question. Yeah, there's there's tons from uh, that series that that kind of mirrors that story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then also like my uh, family has worked in food um, their entire lives, and so like um, another thing that my when people ask me what my father did for a living or does for a living, um, I always love talking about it because it's so obscure, right? So he works in juice. Right, so juice concentrate. And they buy and sell juice concentrate on the world market. So they buy it from 
you know, let's say a farm in China or a factory in China, then sell it to, uh, you know, Snapple or something like that, and then huh. they make their money on the margin. And it's like very typical sort of like everything where it's like, oh, we're not actually owning anything. We're just buying and selling. Uh, and like, um, and like, you know, my entire family has been involved in food and like other immigrants, like whether through food service. And so like, I became really obsessed with the idea of like, it's like, I love that. Like, you know, I love that they found a way to make a living in a, they found a market and they found a way to make a living where no one else was doing it. And so they did it, you know? And like one time I was on a road trip and I saw a vending machine and I just saw a sandwich in there and it was like, I'm like, you know, I bet that fucking people who make these sandwiches are fucking millionaires. And uh, that's really where Hot Love Special came from. And I'm like, oh, I like that idea. Like, sandwich millionaires. Like, sandwich parents. Like, the whole, it's all about, sand, you know, like, it's, everything's about sandwiches. Like, because I grew up in a family where juice was taken very seriously. You know, like, you know, um, and I like the idea of, of taking something that feels not serious and like approaching it like super seriously. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, go so ahead. just follow up question. Elliot, uh are you a fan of the Fargo T V show? I am, yes. Uh yeah, I am. I mean a lot of people were calling out what's special like Fargo, which is like, you know what? Fine. I don't <laughs> care. You know, I mean like if you're if, at least it's good. You know, at least the Fargo TV show is good. Um, I, you know, I, I bet you had I, I written, I, I had I wrote that book set in Ohio or somewhere else, they it, it wouldn't have done that. I think the only reason it got that raffle was because it was set in Minnesota. Uh, but the thing is, is that I don't care. Like, I love living here, and I love Minnesota, and... Uh, you know, I want to write more stories about the Midwest. Yeah, well, I just feel obliged to point out that uh, a UFO may or may not have appeared in the Fargo TV show. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. It, 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 I feel like it totally appeared. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to, to pussyfoot like, around the like spoilers. Like a giant plot point at the end of the movie, or a show, rather. It's like a deus ex machina. Yeah, it was really bizarre. It was really crazy. It was really fucking weird. Uh, but, you know, I'm into it. Like, I'm into it. I, I don't mind however they did it. Like, I mean, I thought it was weird that, like, that's how they got those characters out of that situation. But, you know, I mean, I, 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 because I like that stuff, I was super into it. Awesome. You guys ready to wrap up? Word. All right. Elliot, it has yep. been truly a pleasure. Like, really, honestly, a pleasure. Yeah. Um, I guess both your books come out the same day. I was looking up the release dates. So Midnight Vista 2 and uh, Cult Classic Creature Feature will be out October 16th. So everyone needs to pick those up. Yeah. And FOC for them is tomorrow. Dang. All right. Maybe I should just put this out tomorrow then. Whatever. I don't <laughs> your uh, yes, but even if you don't catch the FOC, you should buy Elliot's book because uh, they're they're awesome. I love them. 
Uh, there's there's very few writers. I, I don't want to blow smoke up your ass, so don't take this the wrong way. But there's very few writers that like basically anything they come out with. I, I pick up, and you are definitely one of those guys. So I, I wish you continued success. No, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thanks again to Elliot for taking the time out to chat with us. It was it was really a pleasure. I I loved this chat with him. Of course, if you want to find us on Twitter, that's always the best place. Ronnie is at Rumbar316. Travis is at The Great Magnet. I'm a geek, but the show is at Aftershock Pod. Elliot is at Elliot Rahal, just like his name. And uh, that's it. We'll be back in a few days with a brand new episode. Catch you on the next one. Bye.